thank you to the cathedral community. Uh, it's been a warm and humbling reception that you've given an ordinary pastor like me. And uh, hello, especially to you guys down the back down there. It's nearly to Australia, I'm sure. Um, I hope that today uh, you'll be able to understand me. I don't really speak English, as you know. I just speak Australian. So I hope you'll be able to do the translation in your head. Let me pray. Father, as we approach your word now, would you please speak to each one of us tenderly, truthfully, powerfully in our hearts, in our minds, by your spirit so that we might know you and you might enable us to love you forever and to love those around us as you would have us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've only ever once found myself at the centre of the universe, I think, and that was a few, few weeks ago when I was in Paddington Station in London and there were people from all over the world, all over Europe, uh, and, and train lines, it seemed, going everywhere. And uh, there was this massive scrum uh, moving forward, trying to see the, the destinations on the screens up above. And I thought to myself, if I get on the wrong train here, I'm not sure I'll be able to find my way back to Australia. Um, and, and I've got to say that Galatians 4, 1 to 11 is a little bit like that. Uh, Paddington Station and all the different train lines coming together. Because in these 11 verses, I think all the different bits of Galatians come together. And actually, as best as I can see, every major biblical theme is here as well. Oh, no wonder you got me to preach on it. Um, today we're going to cover the history of the world. It goes back to the Old Testament and creation and God's purpose for his Old Testament people. We're going to be speaking about pagan religions and family relationships. We'll be speaking about the place of money in our lives, about slavery and idolatry about religious experience, a stack of other things. But basically, what we've got in these verses is a contrast. And the contrast comes in three parts. And so, uh, really what we've got this morning is a sandwich. Two pieces of bread with the filling. That's the way the contrast is going to come to us. And so I want us to look firstly at the, the first bit of bread, if you like, uh, laying the foundation. And to do that, you're going to need to to know a Greek word. I know you're not meant to use Greek in sermons, but think about this. You better go home today and say, at church today, we learned about the whole history of the world and we learned a Greek word. Whoopee. Um, this word, stoikeia, it's a difficult word to translate, and that's one of the reasons why I want to introduce you to it. It's also really important in our passage, and that's the other reason for telling you what it is. It's, it's the word that's translated elementary principles in verse 3. And it would be helpful if you had a Bible open in front of you today to be able to think things through for yourself. Don't believe things just because I tell you that they're true. This, this word, stoikeia, or elementary principles, is about the way the world works. And it's also there in verse 9 in our second piece of bread, as we'll see. But in the first three verses, Paul covers the entire history of the Old Testament people of God. This is how it starts. I mean, that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Paul is introducing a, a word picture, an analogy, that's a little bit different to the one he used last chapter, chapter 3. And basically he's saying, imagine that you're a boy or a girl who grew up in a wealthy home. And that might be true for some of us. But the thing is that your life is divided into two stages. 
before and after you turn 18. 18 is the age of adulthood here in Malaysia, isn't it? When you become a legal adult. Well, what Paul's saying is that as a child, you just can't wait for the day when you turn 18 because for all the time you're a kid, you feel like not much different to a slave. Don't do that, la. Don't do that, ba. Do that. You're in a nice home and you might take nice holidays. But the day hasn't yet come when those nice things actually belong to you. And the Apostle Paul says, that was the situation of the people of God before Christ came. Slavery. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This word, elementary principles, that's that stoichia word. And it literally means the ABCs, the basic principles. God gave the law to Israel to teach his people the ABCs of the way the world works, the spiritual realities of the world in which we live. And what are these spiritual realities? Well, in the words, the immortal words of Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. And the thing about serving somebody is how do you know when you've done enough? How can you be sure that you're doing the right things? Now, if you've never read the book of Leviticus, have a read of it. It's a ripper of a read. It's a massive object lesson in the fundamentals of the world where everything, physical and non-physical, is filled with spiritual meaning from how you do your harvest down on the farm to how you cut your hair, uh, from how to deal with skin rashes and what kind of foods to eat, from sexual ethics to how to have a party at different times of the year. In the book of Leviticus, God gives his people the law while they are camped around him at Mount Sinai. He's teaching them that everything in the world is centred around him and especially that he is holy and that, come near, that to come near to him, things and people need to be special or holy. Sin pollutes things and People can be made holy again, but only by the sacrifice of a life. And that whole system of sacrifices of goats and bulls and sheep and birds and grain and wine was a daily physical reminder of the reality of the world, of the deadly effects of sin and the cost of forgiveness and rescue from sin. And here's the thing for us, who are mostly not Jewish, not living before Christ, there's nothing intrinsically unclean about eating pork, you'll be glad to know, or prawns or bears or bats. But God said those things in the law, that whole matrix of the law, to teach Israel the deeper lesson, who he is, how to serve him, the ABCs, you've got to serve somebody. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is somehow a, a, a progression or an advancement on Judaism, that the People back then were a bit simple and now we've got kind of the real thing because they couldn't understand it. It's that they were under the instruction of the law at that time until they would turn 18 and come to inherit all theirs. See, God gave the law for this purpose to prepare Israel for the freedom that was coming. See, when, when someone in Israel had, I don't know, acne 
or they touched a dead body or they sinned in some way, they'd go to the priest and the priest would recite their sins over an animal and then sacrifice it and their separation from God would be covered over or atoned for. And they longed for the day when God would bring a monumental sacrifice, when he'd do something once for all to release them from being under the, the, the ABCs, the elementary principles, the stoicheia. Now that's the first bit of our sandwich, the first bit of bread. Next, what's the topping or the filling? The meat of the sandwich, I can't say meat, can I? Um, the the, the plant-based, protein-rich bit. Well, it's there in verses 4 to 7. And in those verses, the Apostle Paul speaks about the most important event since the creation of the world, when Israel turned 18 and took possession of what God had promised them. And Paul says two things. Firstly, that redemption came through substitution. Verse 4, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the, the law so we might receive adoption as sons. Redemption comes through substitution. Now, there's a lot going on here, very dense and packed full. And you can't really separate out the little bits. They're all related to each other and dependent on each other. But basically what Paul's speaking about here is what happened when Jesus came. Our freedom came with a mighty substitution. We were under the law with a constant reminder of our weakness and our sin. It was slavery, having to repeat all those things. Every time you needed to go back to the priest, it was in your face that the previous sacrifice had only ever been a temporary solution. But Jesus Christ was sent to us under that law, under the legal requirements that we needed to keep repeating, to redeem us from the law once and for all. The sending of Jesus was a mighty miracle. He was sent from heaven. God became a human. How does that happen? Born of a woman, just like us, with all our temptations and weaknesses. And yet in Jesus' perfect obedience to the law, and therefore his perfect offering of himself as a perfect sacrifice on the cross, he was able to redeem us from that law, from the ABCs. And not just from having to obey the law, but from being under the judgment of the law. See, we're out from under having to re keep repeating the same sacrifices in order to approach God. And what that means is our whole entire spiritual reality and hope has been transformed. Because now we've become his sons and daughters, free to run into the presence of God at any time. That's the first thing that God did here in this passage. But the, the next thing, I think, is the game changer. Verses 6 to 7 say, God sent his spirit. Verse 6, because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I have to be honest with you. I'm conscious that I, I cannot begin to express adequately how special what's being described here is. So far in Galatians, Paul has been speaking about what God has done out there, objectively, in, in Jesus. But with this verse, he turns to what happens in us, the transformation in you. You know that Abba was the 
I, I can see some of you already thinking that 70s pop group. No. Abba was that form of intimate address that Jesus used when he spoke to his father, right? And now that is ours. You see, in the sending of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit, and it's the same sending word for both the Son and the Spirit in the original, God does not merely secure our sonship according to the ABCs that Israel knew. No longer is it our obedience that allows us to draw near to God, but instead Jesus' obedience in our place. And he sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we might experience him and know him and enjoy him and be persuaded of what Jesus has done in that once-for-all death on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. Consequently, we can take Jesus' words on our lips and call God our Father. This is the contrast here in the passage from the ABCs to now calling God Abba, Father. You know that's what God wants most for you, don't you? It's always been his intent in creating humans. It's why he made you, why he made me. He didn't make you to be a law-obeying robot, only ever doing what you were instructed to do. But he made you for personal communion, friendship with him, loving relationship. A relationship that would not be subject to the weaknesses and ups and downs that all of us encounter in life as part of our humanness. But where our hopes and dreams and loves and strength are caught up with him because of what he's done in Jesus. You see, God does not just give a mega sacrifice, Mount Sinai on steroids. He doesn't just give us righteousness or merely adoption as his children. He doesn't just take our sins away, as important as all those things are. But he gives us now the living reality of the spirit of his son, living in us, in our hearts, here and now, so we can enjoy him and find intimacy with him, calling out to him as Abba, Father. And all the purposes of God since before the creation of the world bend along that ark. That's what God is doing. The Spirit of Christ living in your heart that you might be assured of his love for you and assured of what Jesus has done to make you the child of God. Augustine said, Lord, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And it's why God made Israel. You're right in the middle of giving the law in Leviticus 26. We read this. God says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul will not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you'll be my people. See, it's been God's purpose all along. Relationship with his people. And you know, having a relationship with God is what it is to be a Christian. Being a Christian isn't being a good person or following a particular code of ethics, or going to endless meetings with other people who call themselves Christians. And I can feel like that sometimes. But being a Christian is 
to enjoy and share intimacy with God and his people. And it's not just a mental thing. It's, it's, it's a fully orbed relationship. And, you know, nobody outside of Jesus has got any idea what we're talking about at this point. But even the person who's been a Christian for a minute knows the love of God in their hearts. Let's move on, though, from that high point. You know, I'd love to spend more time there, but we can't. Let's move on to the second piece of bread, the, the second stoicheia, if you like, because, you see, the Galatians had only fairly recently become Christians from a pagan background, but now they're being pressured by a new bunch of teachers from Jerusalem to turn back to the things of the Jewish law. And, you know, there are things in these next few verses just so extraordinary. It's, it's, it's almost too difficult to believe. Paul says, if you do that, you Galatians, right, if you go back to following the Old Testament law, you might as well become a pagan and worship pagan gods again. It's just extraordinary. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who, that by nature are not gods, but now that you've come to know God, or rather be, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have laboured in vain for you. The reality, verse 8, was that before Christ, the Galatians were enslaved to non-gods. See, the Galatians weren't Jewish like Paul, Paul says, your pagan worship put you basically in the same situation as those under the law. You're enslaved. You can never be sure whether you've done enough to please the gods or that you've done the right things to please the gods. The elemental principles of the world, you've got to serve somebody, applied to you just as much as they applied to Israel under the law. In other words, what Paul's saying is, all religious practices outside Christ are just slavery to the elementary principles of the world. You've got to do what your gods want. You've got to do what the people more powerful than you want. But you know, the plan of God in the gospel is not primarily about making us law keepers or moral people. It's about him redeeming us out from under the law, out from under the stoicheia and giving us his spirit that we might walk with him and cry out to him, that intimate cry, Abba, Father. And this gives us, who have the spirit, something entirely new. It's what, what the scholar Constantine Campbell calls volitional power. I make rules in our household, and you know, if you're a parent, you probably do as well. You know, let me give you a tip. It's very likely that your kids don't obey the rules because they like obeying rules. Of course, there'll be some kids who do like that. The reason they obey the rules is because they love you and they want to please you. And that is what God has done by putting his spirit in our hearts. He's given us the power to please him now because of our new relationship with him. He's given us a spirit so that we might please him and no law can give that. And, you know, that new relationship is what the Old Testament believers long for. It's what David longed for in Psalm 51, put in me a clean heart, God. And it's what we read before in Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And, you know, I think the great temptation for us as religious people, because here we are in church after all, is somehow to think that by obeying rules and doing religious practices, somehow that's going to bring us closer to God. But they don't. When it comes to celebrating days and seasons and months, which we do as Anglicans, if they become a necessary part of my worship of God and my growth in God, then, frankly, I've just gone back to becoming a slave again under the elementary principles of the world. And, you know, this is not just some different point of view, you know, as if Paul's got one interpretation and the teachers in Galatia have got a different interpretation. The book of Galatians is a funny book, isn't it? The tone is so... So white hot. And that's because what the new teachers of the law are teaching puts them outside of Christ again. Without the spirit, without the volitional power to please God. I think when you see that, it explains the tone that Paul takes in the book of Galatians. Well, there's the sandwich, the elementary principles of the world. You've got to serve somebody versus the way of the Spirit, who gives us volitional power to please God. Three very brief observations and applications. Firstly, if you're someone who's put your trust in Jesus, and don't do what the Galatians are doing, and make the mistake of returning to trust in your religious practices, what might that look like, though? Well, as I look around the world, one of the things I notice is the great tendency of many Christian churches to subtly change the gospel, the message about Jesus, from what God has done for us into what you have to do. And that might make wonderful moral people careful to do the right thing, obedient, and might fill churches it might be popular and it might be good even, but it won't make anyone a Christian because the gospel is not what I do, it's what Jesus has done for me. The gospel is good news, not good advice for how to live your life. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is Lord, not that you have to make him Lord. And so that means that the gospel is the question not of what we make him, but of what he makes us because of his obedience to the Father's will, because of the Father's satisfaction with him. Genuine Christian faith, you see, doesn't get its confidence from the things that we do, following the right observations and rules and practices. And you just think about it from the other point of view. You see, if it was up to me to gain God's approval through what I do, and I could just follow the right instructions, and if I did the wrong thing, then follow some other instructions and, and fix it up again, why would God have sent Jesus to the cross? Why did God send Jesus to die if I could do it myself? Now don't do what the Galatians are doing and foolishly think that you can 
Be right with God by what you do. Secondly, what that means is that genuine Christian ministry is not about teaching people to follow rules, but about directing people who don't know Christ to him, to a relationship with him. Not by looking inside themselves or looking at other gods or learning other ways, but through coming to see him and what he's done for them. Genuine Christian ministry is not obedience to the disciple maker. It's having Christ formed in you through prayer and teaching by word and example to recognise what Christ has already done for you so that when you don't feel close to God, you can cry out to him, Abba, Father, and know that he's your perfect, good, gracious, heavenly Father who's brought you to himself. And when you sin, you can cry out to him, Abba, Father, because you know that this is the, the heavenly calculus. He'd rather have his son die than you miss out on relationship with him. What a wonderful father. And thirdly, just quickly, I'll just put this out there. G.K. Chesterton said a little while ago now, uh, Christ Christianity's outer ring is despair but its inner ring is dancing like children and drinking wine like men. Such joy. But the modern world is different. Its outer ring is apparently freedom, cast off our shackles, but its inner ring is despair. And you see the point. Every age seeks freedom. And the modern world seeks freedom. But it ends up with despair because why? It's just following the basic principles of the world. And how can you ever be sure that anybody's happy with you if it's up to you what you do? How can you be sure you've done enough? How can you be sure you've done the right things? But Christian faith recognises our need of Christ to be our substitute, to live for us, to die in our place to make us God's dwelling place forever. And it is only through him that we will ever grow up and ever truly find that joyous freedom. And in fact, find out that his service is perfect freedom. Amen.